So we got a lot to cover today, so get your notes out, be ready, buckle up, uh, and let's get to it. First of all, just to, to explain in case you weren't here last week, the baptism in the Holy Spirit uh, is, is when the Holy Spirit immerses us. Baptizo, the, the Greek word for baptism, literally means fully immersed, so, so you're covered. So the Holy Spirit covers those. We saw it in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. We saw it numerous other times in the book of Acts. And it is primarily for power to witness, right? Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we believe that, that the primary function of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you to have power in your Christian life. Power in your Christian walk, specifically to witness, but it's going to flesh out in other areas as well. And so let's talk about baptisms. The Bible teaches us about three baptisms for believers. The first one we find in 1 Corinthians 12, where I turned you to turn, uh, told you to turn. The Apostle Paul, getting ready to talk about spiritual gifts provided by the Holy Spirit, says this. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, so he creates this parallel, this metaphor between the church and the body of Christ. Uh, he says, but all its many parts form so one body, so it is with Christ. So he's talking about the body of Christ. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So we were baptized by one spirit. What is that baptism? That's the baptism into salvation. That is the baptism into Jesus. So the first thing to put down is that the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Baptizes us into Jesus according to 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Now this is not controversial. Pretty much every Christian church believes this. This is, this is common ground. This is foundational. Man, the, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. What does that mean for you? That means as a believer, if you are a Christian, you are immersed in Christ. You are immersed into the body of Christ. This is, man, why, man, God calls us all to be part of a local church, right? We are all parts of a body, and he's going to go on and talk about spiritual gifts and how the gifts need to flow in the church, and everybody has a part to play in the body of Christ. Thursday night, I was in Steve Yelverton's uh, city group, where they do kind of, kind of unpacks the Sunday morning message and discusses the Sunday morning message and Steve had everybody in his group share their salvation testimony and if they had it their, their baptism in the Holy Spirit testimony and one thing that that really stood out to me is these people share these incredible stories that are so different I mean it's amazing when you talk to the body of Christ about their testimonies how, how differently God moves in different people's lives right in different seasons in different ways it's so encouraging but one common thread that came out with so many of them was was the role that the church, and I don't mean city church, I mean the church of Jesus, had played in, in bringing Jesus to them and in, in discipling them and in helping them to grow up in the faith. I think the church, the body of Christ, is so important. And so the Holy Spirit baptizes us, immerses us into Jesus at salvation. In fact, go ahead and put that next slide up there just to make this clear. The word baptizo, the Greek word for baptism, means to immerse fully told you, I think it was last week or maybe a couple of weeks ago, that the, the common examples from 2,000 years ago when this word was used in Greek was a, a form of making pickles, right? You would baptizo the cucumber in the vinegar. It would be fully immersed in the vinegar. And also for a shipwreck, 
that, that a ship that, that was out at sea and wrecked, it would be baptizoed, fully immersed in the sea once it had wrecked. And so that's why we believe in immersion in, in water. Uh, we believe in, in dunking, if you prefer that term. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that, man, other forms of baptism are, are somehow invalid or, or, man, you're not baptized because you did something else. We just want to do it as close to the way that the Bible ordains for it to be done. And so that's the way that we do it. That's why we do it that way. So if you have been baptized in water, which will be number two, a disciple baptizes us in water. This is the one that we're most familiar with, most comfortable with, whether it was sprinkling or immersion or or some other form in between. Most believers are at least familiar with the idea of baptism. We find this in Matthew 28, 19, as well as many other places. But Jesus, speaking to his followers, to his disciples, says this. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Would you guys put that Matthew 28 up there for me, please? Thank you. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so who, dis- who baptizes? A disciple, right? For you, it may have been a pastor. It may have been a leader. It may have been somebody else uh, who, who baptized you. But it's a follower of Jesus who baptizes us in water, right? A physical person baptizes us in water. So the Holy Spirit baptizes us into Jesus. A disciple baptizes us in water. Uh, And then this is where controversy comes up because a lot of people will say, hey, Ephesians 4 says there's one baptism, right? I don't know if you're familiar with the passage, but we'll put it up there. Ephesians 4 says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So people who deny the baptism of the Holy Spirit would say, hey, the Bible says there's one baptism, right? And yet everybody who would stand for that would agree that we've all been immersed in Christ, baptized in Christ at salvation, uh, and that we're called to be baptized in water regardless of what form of baptism they believe in or what they think it needs to look like. They all agree with the first two baptisms every theologian does. The argument comes on the third. So what happens third? Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' role, Jesus' job, not his only one, but one of his roles is to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 3, but understand this is in all four Gospels, very central, very important theology here. John the Baptist is talking. He's baptizing people in repentance. He's out in the wilderness, right? He's wearing camel hair, and he's eating locusts, and he's doing weird stuff, uh, and he's baptizing people, and as he does, he says, hey, I baptize you with water for repentance, But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, right? In fact, Jesus is going to enter onto the scene very shortly, and Jesus is going to get baptized. And we're going to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one verse as Jesus goes down into the water. The Father speaks and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit's going to descend like a dove. We see the whole Trinity in, in one spot right here as Jesus is baptized. But John says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus is coming. He's going to baptize you with something better, something more important with the Holy Spirit and with fire. If you were here with us last week, and I keep referring to this, so if you weren't here last week, you need to go check out the podcast, go to Facebook, watch the video, want to do something so you can get a hold of this. But we saw last week the, the fire that descended on the day of Pentecost, right, along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is also 
If you want to fact check me, feel free to do this. It's in all four Gospels. It's in Mark 1.8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33. All four Gospels talk about how Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. So, so there's three baptisms. So if you are a Christian, you've been baptized into Christ. You've received the first baptism. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ. If you've been baptized in water, you've received the second baptism. And, and let me just say this. There's an order here. The first one is a prerequisite for the other two. Now, you can get baptized in, into Jesus first, uh, and then you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit or baptized in water. Those two aren't prerequisites for each other. Uh, and I know people who have done it in, in each of those orders. But baptism into Jesus is the requirement. You've got to be a Christian before you can get baptized in water. You've got to be a Christian before you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there's some who, who I've baptized some people in like their 50s who are like, man, I was baptized as a kid. I was baptized as a baby. Uh, but I didn't make that decision. My parents made that decision for me, and so I want to get baptized for myself. I mean, I want to get baptized as a declaration of my faith, because that's what baptism is. It's a declaration of your faith, and nobody else can make that declaration for you. Uh, and so we got to get saved first, then we practice what we call believer's baptism, that, that be as, a, as a representation, as a symbol of your faith, you get baptized in water, and then you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was the order for me, uh, for others, the order might look different, but we got to get saved first. That's the prerequisite for the other two baptisms. So let, let's talk about three reasons why the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for you. Uh, first of all, Jesus, we all love Jesus. We want what Jesus wants for us. We want to be like Jesus. Jesus promised us the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we saw this last week, but I want to make sure that, that we reiterate it because it's so important. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 4, it says, On one occasion, while he, he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. Everybody say the gift. Yeah. Wait for the gift my Father promised. Everybody say promised. Promise. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that the Father promised, he says, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus even calls it back, right? We saw it in the Gospels, saw it in Matthew, we said it's also in Mark, Luke, and John that Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He references it, he says, look, just like John baptized with water, you're about to get baptized, you're about to get immersed in the Holy Spirit. So we know that they went and they waited in the upper room and we know it was, a, it, was a, it was about a week from this point, from the time that Jesus said this until the day of Pentecost came. And in Acts chapter 2, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter spills out into the streets and he's preaching this message. 3,000 people are coming to Jesus and as 3,000 people are getting saved, Peter says this, verse 38, he replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, he's talking about baptism in water. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't forgive our sins, right? Repentance forgives our sins. Baptism in water symbolizes that the old life has been left behind. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, all of you. If you want Jesus, this is what you do. And look, look what he says. He says, and you will receive the gift. What's the gift? It's what Jesus just talked about one chapter before. Jesus said, go wait for the gift. He says, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, this promise, what did Jesus say? He says, a promise, the Father promised this for you. This promise is for you. Everybody say, it's for you. Look at the person next to you, he says, it's for you. He says, this promise is for you, but he didn't just say for you to the 3,000 people who are about to receive Jesus. He goes ahead and starts specifying some really cool stuff. He says, the promise is for you. 
The promise is for your children, and the promise is for all who are far off. If you look in the Greek, all who are far off literally means Troy Souden, right? This promise is for me. I was far off. Obviously, that's not what it means in the Greek. It was a joke, right? But, but far off. How far off am I? I'm 2,000 years later. Thousands of miles away. And Jesus says this promise is for all who are far off, right? Excuse me, Peter says this. Through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this promise of the Holy Spirit, this promise of this gift, why is he talking about the Holy Spirit here? Because the reason that they drew a crowd, the reason why anybody even cared what they had to say is they heard them speaking in tongues, which happened after they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So people are asking, what is going on? What is this thing that's happening? He says, well, you can have this gift too. In fact, this promise is for you. You got to get saved first. You got to receive Jesus first. That's a prerequisite. But if you receive Jesus then the promise is you also can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I believe, number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you because Jesus promised you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number two, we're about to, to get into a section of teaching I don't go to a whole lot. We're going to talk about some Old Testament foreshadowing stuff. This is not my, I am not a Bible scholar, right? This is not my gift, but this stuff is important. So buckle up with me. I, I believe I understand this correctly. The question is, because I teach it correctly. So we're going to find out if it comes out right. But I believe that I can. Uh, I, I've been studying this and praying over this, and I think I'll have this ready for you. So number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you because Jesus promised the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you is because all three Jewish feasts are for you. So let's talk about some Jewish feasts. You may be familiar with some of these. You may be totally unfamiliar with some of this. Uh, but I think all of this is really important. The Jewish calendar features three primary feasts. And these feasts are actually broken down into seven feasts. So the first feast, the Passover, has three feasts inside the Passover. The last feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, has three feasts inside the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't have time to get into all the, the sub-feasts. Uh, it's a week-long celebration. That's what you need to know. Um, and we'll talk about the, the high-level stuff. So the first is the Passover. The Passover is a foreshadow of Jesus, right? The Passover is a celebration that the angel of death passed over the Jews in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, because of the blood of the lamb that was brushed on their door frames. And so the angel of death passed over them, so they celebrate the Passover, that the, the death didn't come for us, right? What is that? A foreshadow of Jesus. The blood of the lamb would cover us, so death doesn't come for us. I don't have to pay the price for my sins. So the Passover uh, is the Holy Spirit baptizing us into Jesus. That's salvation, right? We understand that. Passover is for everybody. We agree with that, right? Man, that, that anybody can receive the Passover. Anybody can receive Jesus. Anybody can receive salvation. So secondly, we have the feast that we talked about last week that we're talking about in this series. It's the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50, so, so if you're afraid of Pentecost, if you've been associated weird stuff with Pentecostals and with Pentecost, it, it literally just means 50. There's no need to be afraid of that unless you're coming up on your 50th birthday, right? There, there, there's nothing weird about 50. It's, what is it? It's, it's 50 days after Passover is the beginning of the harvest. Pentecost was the celebration of the start of the harvest. What happens on the day of Pentecost? The harvest begins. 3,000 people come to Jesus. 
This stuff is not accidental. This stuff is not coincidental. God embedded this into the Old Testament to teach us what he was going to do in each of our lives. So Pentecost is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit shows up. So Jesus dies for us. By the way, Jesus died on Passover. On Passover, at 9 o'clock in the morning, they would slay the lamb. 9 o'clock in the morning, Jesus dies. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the father, the patriarch of the family, would pull the lamb out of the oven and they would feast. Uh, and, and at 3 o'clock, Jesus went, Jesus died, and they buried him. Like the, the whole thing is symbolic. The whole thing is embedded perfectly in the story. So we have the Passover. Passover's for all of us. We have Pentecost, I believe, and I'm making the argument that Pentecost is for all of us. Then we have the one that we're probably least familiar with is the Feast of Tabernacles. Part of the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the sub-feasts of the Feast of Tabernacles is the Feast of Trumpets. It's when they would blow the shofar, which is the the Jewish version of a trumpet, uh, and this declared the end of the harvest. The harvest is now complete. What is going to happen one day? One day a trumpet is going to sound, and Jesus is going to return, and what happens when Jesus returns? The harvest is complete. Right? Salvation is fully given to those who have already received it. We are fully instituted into our reward, into our inheritance, and there's not going to be any more harvest coming in. You're either in Jesus at that point, you've either been baptized into Christ at that point, or you haven't. That's the end of the harvest. But what happens at the Feast of Tabernacles? Ultimately, the Feast of Tabernacles is the the Feast of Togetherness. It's the feast of dwelling together with God. What happens when Jesus comes for us? We're face to face with God. Right now we're with God because the Holy Spirit lives in us at salvation. So we have God's presence with us, but we don't see him. We don't audibly hear him, right? Like we have a taste. In fact, Jesus said, right, that the Holy Spirit's like our down payment. Or Paul said, the Holy Spirit's our down payment. It's the first fruits of our inheritance. There's a lot more of our inheritance coming, but the Holy Spirit's the first piece of our inheritance. So the tabernacles represents the fullness of the inheritance. Now we have everything. We are physically in the presence of God. Now is tabernacles for every believer? Absolutely. There's not exclusions. It's not like, hey, this is only for the best Christians. This is only for the 144,000, right? We can have some weird stuff that people get into. Tabernacles is for everybody. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you've received salvation, one day tabernacles will happen for you. Now, not all of us will be here when the trumpet blows, right? In fact, most believers won't. They'll already be in heaven when the trumpet blows. But the trumpet's still blowing for them. It says the dead in Christ will rise first. So they're going to receive the Feast of Tabernacles fully in completion at one point as well. So what am I trying to say? For some reason, there's only one of these feasts that we think is only for a few people. And here's what people think. Some people think, hey, it was just for the 12. That Pentecost, it was just for the 12. Or, or they can't really go there because they know there's 120 in the room. So Pentecost was just for the 120. Or they read through, through the book of Acts and they see Pentecost coming in different ways to different people. So, so here's what they'll say, that... The gifts of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, died out with the apostles. That's the argument that those who believe in what we call cessation would, would give. And I hate to even talk about like, what other people teach or other people believe because it sounds like I'm bashing people and my heart is not to bash my brothers in Christ. Man, there, there are people who believe that who love Jesus phenomenally. There, there are people who believe that who walk in a holiness I haven't achieved in my life yet. 
okay? There are people who believe that, who have, who have been used by God in amazing ways. So I'm not here to, to point fingers and be like, these people are wrong, and these people, man, we're going to worship Jesus together with, in eternity with people who believe that. So I celebrate my brothers and sisters who believe that. I just think they're wrong. Right? I, I think they're missing a piece. And I believe, man, every tribe of Christianity gets a revelation of some area that, that other tribes need to get from them. So I need to learn from those people, and there's things that they understand and study that I don't understand. This is just one thing where I think they could learn from us. Right? That, that's all that I'm saying is I believe that they're wrong on this. I believe that, that the argument for cessation is simply founded in human reasoning. And the reasoning is basically this. They go back to the early church, second century, third century church, and they say, hey, there's no evidence that they used the gifts of the Spirit or believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit early on. And if they didn't believe it, then it's not for us. But my belief is that the Scripture is the standard, not the church. Right? What does the Bible have to say? And the Bible does not teach us that this stuff was supposed to die out. Just because somebody doesn't walk in something that God provided for us doesn't mean God didn't provide it. Man, there's all kinds of things that we don't walk in. That doesn't mean that God didn't give it to us, right? And so I believe that God provided this for us. So all three Jewish feasts are for you. Passover is for you. Pentecost is for you. Tabernacles is for you. Number three, let's actually talk about the tabernacle. Let's get really Old Testament. Some of you about to fall asleep. Hang with me. I promise there's, there's good stuff in here. The tabernacle foreshadowed the three baptisms. The tabernacle foreshadowed the three baptisms. So I'm going to get really vulnerable with you today. I'm going to share my baptism of the Holy Spirit story, but I'm going to get even more vulnerable with you with that. I'm going to share my Photoshop skills. Uh, and trust me, this is a lot harder for me to do than to tell my testimony. I like telling my testimony. I am terrible at Photoshop, but we're going to do it. I drew some stuff up for you, so go ahead and put that first one up there for us. Um, this is the tabernacle, uh, and this one's actually not terrible. It gets worse as we go from here. All right, so, so we're going to talk about the three baptisms. We've got salvation, the baptism into Jesus, water, the baptism by a disciple into, into immersion in, in, in water, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So the tabernacle was essentially laid out like this, and I'll just tell you up front, this is not to scale. Uh, don't, like, misinterpret. Don't get any ideas about the tabernacle from me as far as how big anything was. This is just my futile attempts to to try to draw something out so you could see it. Um, so the tabernacle had a place called the holy place and the most holy place. You're probably familiar, the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt. It's the place where God's presence was. It's a place only one person could go in one time a year. It was separate. And there was a veil, a curtain in between the holy place and the most holy place. You know that that curtain ripped when Jesus died and when the Passover was fulfilled. The separation between God and man was destroyed. But to get into the holy place, which anybody could do uh, on, on certain times, only one person could get in the most holy place, but you could go make a sacrifice in the holy place, you had to go through a series of steps. So let's go to the first step. The first thing that happened after you came in the tabernacle is you came to an altar. And at that altar was the blood of the lamb. And you had to wash in the blood. What's that symbolic of? The first step. Salvation, right? When you receive Jesus, you were washed in the blood. You could say you were baptized in the blood. That sounds weird. But you were immersed in the blood of Christ. Why? Because everything was washed away. Everything was cleansed by the blood. So the first thing you do is you came to the altar. Second thing you came to was a laver. And this is a terrible drawing, but just bear with me. Uh, and in that laver, there was some water. So first you washed in the blood. Then you washed in water. Isn't that an odd coincidence? 
that you would come to the blood first and then come to the water, baptism in water, second. And then thirdly, before you could get to the holy place, you had to come to something else. You had to come to a flask. And in that flask was oil, and that oil would be anointed upon you. You would be anointed with the oil, oil symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that to get to God's presence, to get to God's best, to get to what God had for his people, he had his people pass through the blood, pass through water, and pass through oil before they could get into his presence. I don't think it's a coincidence. Here's what so many believers do. So many believers come to the blood. We receive the blood. We receive salvation. Then we come to the water and we're like, hey, I'll get baptized in water as long as it's heated or I'll wait till June. But I'll get baptized in water. I'll go along with this, right? And then we skip around the oil. And do you know what happened in the Old Testament if they skipped a step and they came into God's presence? They died. Right Now, I'm not saying you're going to die spiritually and be cast into hell. That's not what I'm saying if you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What I am saying is we have a whole generation of believers who are walking around defeated, who feel dead in their faith, who have no power and no victory, and it's because they've received the blood and they've received the water, but they haven't received the oil. They've gotten to this place where, where it just feels like, man, I, I'm plateaued. I'm stagnant. My faith just isn't going anywhere. I'm just not accomplishing anything. And if that's you, I believe it's because you're missing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get me wrong. You can even get to that place after you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 14 years old, and I've had some, some bad seasons in my faith. So I don't want to make this out like, hey, if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit, everything's easy after that. That's, that's not true. Don't mishear me. But it is the engine that now provides for you a way through those struggles. Man, those bondages, those things that hold you back, those frustrating seasons. Now you have something. Remember what we said? The word for power in Acts 1-8 is dunamis. You've got dynamite, explosive power that will push you through that bondage, that will push you through that hang-up, that will push you through that, that struggle, whatever that struggle looks like. And so many believers are missing out on it. Doesn't make you less of a Christian. Doesn't make you a failure as a believer. It just means there's something else God has for you that you haven't experienced yet. And can I just be real? If that's you and you're in that category, that should be exciting, right? Like that should be something that just says, "Yes, God's got more for me than I'm walking in right now. God's got something else that's going to take me to a new level in my understanding of Him, a new level in my ability to hear His voice, a new level in my walk with Him. God's got something else for me." All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 11 really, really quick. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is speaking, and he says this. This is also in Matthew chapter 7, uh, but we're, we're going to read it in the book of Luke. In Luke 11, he says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Right? This very famous statement that, hey, if, if we'll ask, we'll receive. If we'll seek, we'll find. If we'll knock, the door's open. He says, For everyone who asks, receives. For the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open." Great statement. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. He, he's giving this famous sermon. He's actually just in Luke chapter 11 given the Lord's Prayer. And so now he's telling us, hey, once you pray, here's some things you can do while you pray. Verse 12 or verse 11, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? 
He says, look, if your kid asks for something, man, you're not going to give him something worse. My, my son, we were supposed to go fishing yesterday uh, with Cody and, and John, and my son woke up, and he was throwing up, and we didn't get to go yesterday. And he was so bummed because he was asking for a fish, man. He, it was going to be his first time fishing. He was so excited, and, and we missed out on it yesterday. So I, as a father, I'm heartbroken for Judah, right? I, I hate that he missed out on this. Why? Because I'm a dad who wants good gifts for my kids, I want my kid to experience something good, right? He says, or if your son asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion, right? He says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This famous passage, Matthew 7 covers it, but it's actually Luke 11. It says Matthew 7 up there. I apologize for that. Matthew 7 covers it, but it doesn't give us the context of what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, look, if you will ask for the Holy Spirit, you'll receive. If you will seek the Holy Spirit, you'll find. If you'll knock, the door will be open to you. So here's the question. How do you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How do I receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? If it's beginning to stir in you, if you're starting to, to hunger for this, if you're starting to desire this step, the simple answer is this. You ask. You ask. In fact, I would say you ask by faith. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit the same way that you receive salvation. You ask God by faith, right? These are the steps that it takes to get anything from God. So next week in our worship night, we're going to provide an atmosphere, an opportunity for you to ask if you want to take this step. If there's something God's stirring in your heart, we're going to provide that. We're going to provide some prayer partners for you to, to help you and to pray over you that, that you would receive this. Now, know this. You don't have to do it that way. I talked to somebody this week, in fact, who, who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in worship just on his own. Nobody laid hands on him. Just, man, God showed up. Talked to somebody this week who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit while she was walking to her mom and dad's house. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Man, you, you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a lot of ways. Man, my, my wife received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when she was on a mission trip out in a field by herself praying and seeking God. So you're going to see the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a lot of ways, but one of the ways that was most common, both in Scripture and in people's lives, is through the laying on of hands. It's meant that someone who's received the baptism of the Holy Spirit would lay hands on you and pray with you as you ask God to receive. That's how it happened for me. So i got a few minutes as we wrap up. I'm going to tell you some of my story. I was raised in a super Pentecostal family. In fact, my, my mother's father, my grandfather on my mom's side, was an Assemblies of God pastor. And so they were all in on Pentecostal stuff. Man, believed in the Spirit from as long as I, I knew. So my dad didn't get saved until later in life, but he did get saved before I was born. So both of my parents had walked through the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I was ever a thing, before I ever existed. And so I remember my parents praying in tongues uh, regularly. In fact, I remember one specific time we, we went to Canada. It was the only time I went to Canada as a kid. I grew up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, and so we, we were driving to Canada, and we were on our way there, and we had a picnic at like a rest stop on our way there. And my parents prayed over the food, uh, and I think it was my dad, but one of them started praying in tongues. And after they were done, I asked them, I said, is that the language that other people in Canada speak? I meant French. I knew people in Canada spoke some other language, some of them. Uh, and they were like, I hope a lot of people in Canada speak that language. Uh, and I, I remember this, this experience, man. I heard my parents speak in tongues many times. My mom, I've told you this before, my mom's an intercessor. And so she would be up in the middle of the night 
a lot, and she would come into our rooms, and she would pray over us a lot, and I many, many, many times as a kid remember waking up in the middle of the night, and my mom is praying in tongues, and it's terrifying to wake up with somebody in your room, but it wasn't the praying in tongues that terrified me. It was just this, like, presence, right? Uh, and, and so I was very familiar with it, and I, I think I told you this a couple weeks ago, but I associated the baptism of the Holy Spirit with raising your hands in worship. Because everybody that I knew who had been baptized in the Holy Spirit raised their hands in worship. And I didn't want that. I didn't want to be that guy. Uh, and so my grandparents, who were pastors, they would pay for us to go to like Christian camps in the summer. And we'd go to these camps, and the first thing they'd ask us when we got home from camp was, hey, did you get baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I would always let them down and be like, no. Because I decided I wasn't going to baptize in the Holy Spirit for anybody else. I got baptized in water because my parents wanted me to. I wasn't going to baptize in the Holy Spirit until I was ready. Well, I was homeschooled first through seventh grade. We lived in inner city Seattle, Washington, what I would call the hood. It was not a good neighborhood. Uh, and finally in eighth grade, I, I begged and begged and begged my parents, and they finally decided to put me in public school. So I went to public school for the first time in eighth grade, and I was actively involved in my youth ministry uh, and total, totally clueless on social skills, right? Like, like I was a total loser, total nerd, uh, very sheltered. And so by the grace of God, I start making friends. Uh, I still, still look back and I'm like, I can't believe anybody was my friend in middle school. Because middle school kids are horrible, right? Uh, and, and I was totally clueless. And somehow, by God's grace, I start making friends. And I wanted to invite them to church. And I flat out couldn't. I remember specifically a guy named George. And I, and I made friends with George really early on. And I just wanted to say, hey, dude, why don't you come to church with me? And I could not muster up the courage I had a, a health class, and in health class, we had to do an oral presentation. It was the first oral presentation I ever gave in front of other people since I'd been homeschooled for seven years. Um, and I remember I had to do it. It was on a drug. Each of us had to, like, research a drug and, like, the negative effects. And so my report was on angel dust, PCP. And I remember it was 30 seconds long. And I remember, like, sweating bullets, and not sweating like I am right now because I'm too hot, like sweating like my body like could not handle. I, I stammered, like I stuttered, like I couldn't get it out. I remember kids laughing like so hard as I gave this little 30-second report. I was terrified of people. What I was is I was wrapped up in the fear of man. I was completely terrified of what people thought of me because I knew I didn't know what they knew. Right? Like I knew that, that, that I didn't understand the social ways that they did, and so I was so scared of being exposed. I was so scared of saying something or doing something that was different because, man, every kid's greatest fear is to be different, right? So into all this, God just laying on my heart to tell my friends about Jesus. Can't do it. Can't even invite them to church, let alone tell them about Jesus. So we've got a youth leader in our church named Gary Broderick. And Gary was about 19 years old at the time. He had been radically saved out of, out of heroin. Um, he, was, he was like, you know, long hair, heavy metal guy. This is like 1994, to give you uh, some, some timeline. Uh, and so he was all into the world. Everything the world had to offer, deep drug addiction, um, sexual stuff, like whatever. Insert sin here, Gary had it. Gary got saved and got on fire for Jesus. I remember going on youth trips with Gary, and we'd go to like McDonald's for breakfast, and he's witnessing to the person behind the counter, and I'm trying to shrink down below the counter, right? Like so embarrassed that this guy's telling somebody behind the counter about Jesus. Had no interest in being a part of that. So I start going to public school, and God's laying on my heart to tell my friends about Jesus, and somehow, some way, I connect the dots. I've been a Christian my whole life. 
like as long as I can remember. Like I literally prayed to receive Jesus for the first time when I was two years old. Did it again when I was four. Did it again when I was eight. Covering the bases, right? Making sure it took. Somewhere in there I received Christ. And here I am, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I can't even open my mouth and say, would you come to church with me? Out of fear of what people would go through. And this guy's been saved for a few months and he's a witnessing evangelistic machine. So I remember the day well. It was September 19th, 1994. We went to an event. Uh, our youth group went to an event. It was a Friday night. Uh, and, and we went to, it was called Youthquake. And it was a, a bunch of youth groups that got together. Uh, and a guy named Benny Perez preached. Benny Perez is now a pastor in Las Vegas. But at this time, he was just a, a nobody youth pastor. And Benny spoke. And I can't tell you anything that Benny said. But I remember this. In the midst of his message, God connected the dots for me. And he's like, if you want power to witness, if you want to tell your friends about Jesus, the thing that's missing is Gary's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and you're not. And so at the end of the message, this was in an Assemblies of God event, and so every altar call offered salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was just standard. He didn't talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But so I went down, and they had a whole bunch of youth leaders down at the front from the different youth ministries, and, and I was going to go to my youth pastor. There were, there were people who were available, but like, I'm praying with Pastor Jeff, uh, and so there was, Jeff was actually praying with somebody else, and so I stood in line, and I waited for Pastor Jeff to finish with this other kid, and I probably like shot evil eyes at him. Uh, and so this other kid finally got done, and I was able to pray with my youth pastor, and so I stepped up, and I said, hey, Jeff, it's time for me to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said, awesome. And, and by godly coincidence, by divine appointment, he was actually standing next to Gary, and Gary had just finished praying with his kid too, and so Gary turns over. And the two of them lay hands on me. And he said, I want you to start asking God. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. Remember my biggest fear? I want you to raise your hands to heaven. I want you to tell God you want to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I did that. And within literally like three seconds Man, I, I was overwhelmed by a feeling of, of warmth, of heat. Um, my stomach physically began to hurt. Uh, and this is not like everybody's story. This is my story. So I, I hesitate to even tell my story because I don't want to create expectations. Because God moves differently in everybody's life. And so please don't hear this and say, this is what's going to happen for me. Just hear what the result is. What you want is the result, not the process. The process may look differently in your life. So I begin speaking in tongues. God gives me a prayer language. Um, and, and the night, youthquake, right, is themed on this. So after a youthquake was aftershocks. We, were, we had the YMCA rented out. And we were going to the Y, and we were going to swim and play basketball and play racquetball. And that was the whole reason I was going to this event, was I could not wait to go do aftershocks. I was, like, pumped up to go, go take over the YMCA. Um, God gives me the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We go to the church van. We drive, like, across the street to the YMCA. And I'm still like doubled over in physical pain. I was so overwhelmed that I actually ended up staying on the church van, in the back of the church van, just praying in the spirit the whole time. They go in for like two hours. I never set foot in that YMCA. I don't even know what that YMCA looks like um, because I had such a, such a powerful experience with God. Um, and here's what I believe. I believe God reset some stuff in me that was what was supposed to be there that the enemy had destroyed. Um, and so I believe I was supposed to be bold. In fact, there's great there's stories of men when I was a kid where I was obnoxious. Uh, and I would tell anybody anything and was very opinionated. And, and somewhere along the line, I got so afraid of people that I lost that. And so God restored this in me. And long story short, I could tell you so much more, but, but I don't want to hold you all day. Um, within a month, 
I had led seven of my friends to Christ. Same kid who couldn't open his mouth and say, come to church. Led seven people to Jesus in a month. Not because of my goodness, but because of God's. Why? Because God did something in me. He gave me dunamis, bold power to witness. Something I had never experienced before. Something I so badly needed. I can say on 100% integrity, had I not experienced what I did in September of 1994 and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I would never have become a pastor. Like there's no way I could do what I'm doing right now in my, in my natural state. I was so terrified and so petrified. Now, there are people who can, right? I'm not saying nobody can do this. I'm just saying I couldn't do this, right? So God did something in me that I had to have on that night. And I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you've got somebody you want to witness to and you don't know how. Maybe you've got some sin issue you just can't overcome and can't defeat. Maybe there's some other area in your life that just isn't victorious, But I believe this, I believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is dunamis power. It's dynamite power. It's power that makes things happen. It destroys yokes. It it makes something happen in the spiritual that you can't make happen without it. Doesn't mean you'll never lead somebody to Jesus without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know many people who have. Man, I'm grateful for that. I told you this last week, and I'll close with this. Baptism of the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than anybody. Baptism of the Holy Spirit just makes me better than me. The same thing is true for you. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not going to make you better than this Christian over here or that Christian over here. It's just going to make you better than who you are now. It's going to empower you to a, to a new level in your experience with God, to your ability to process what the word says, your ability to tell people about Jesus, your ability to overcome the, the temptations the enemy puts in your life. It's not going to make everything easy. Like, I, I don't want to oversell it. Oh, but man, it's so important. It's so powerful, and it's something that I'm so grateful that God did in my life. I believe with all my heart, though, baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. I believe God is no respecter of persons. He's not going to give me this ability and not give it to you if you want it. And so I would encourage you, just like I said last week, our take-home is like, what's the practical application of this? Take-home is this. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, start praying. God, is this something you want me to do? I believe it is, but don't take my word for it. Take God's. Ask him. And just begin to have that conversation with them. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, be here next week and and spend this week praying for people to walk in this, for people to receive this, who need to take this step. If you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, but like one of the people who was in our city group on Thursday said, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, but but I don't have any evidence of that in my life anymore. Like it's kind of gone dormant. I've I've lost that ability. I've lost that that power. Then begin praying for a reawakening. For, for a re-indwelling, a refilling of God's Holy Spirit. That's the, that's the take-home, whichever category you're in. Um, but I believe with all my heart, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you.